I'm going to talk about we can always win or being positive in a negative world. Whatever title, as you go along, you can change your title. There may be a different one by the time it gets online. But positive desire, we talked about this in a different way a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how God is called the God of all hope. That means hope in the Bible isn't like, you know, you didn't really want to go to somebody's house, you know, for Thanksgiving. And, and they like, why don't you come over? And you're like, I hope so. Well, that hope wasn't real strong. You're thinking, I just want to kick back. And hope didn't mean anything positive. But when it you see that from a Bible term and you hear the word hope from God, that means positive expectation for good. So God thinks this way about all of his people, whether you agree with it or not. Whether I agree with it or not about you, or everybody disagrees that God has good for you, it doesn't matter, God has good for you. Period. Everybody agrees with it, or nobody agrees with it, or anywhere in between, God's attitude stands, even if religious people, People, people with all kinds of letters, like PhD, say God's not for you. Like one minister said, I figured that out, that PhD stood for post hole digger because they didn't have much knowledge. Because the fact of the matter is, whether we believe God has good for us or not, doesn't change him, but it does affect us. And, and we could be doing some things that are detrimental to ourselves. You know, when we grew up in Southern California, I don't know where you grew up, but there was a commercial that was on, and for a while they told you eggs are bad. Anybody remember that? Eggs are bad. You know, we don't know everything. And so they were like, eggs are bad, eggs are bad. And then it crushed the, the industry, you know. And then all of a sudden they had further studies. They found that eggs were good. So there was these eggs in this prison. And the prison doors were opened and these big eggs walked out. And they say, eggs got a bad rap. Pretty corny. But they got released. But they were held... These aren't real eggs. It's not a real story, but it's real that they got a bad rap. But God's gotten a bad rap. You know, one of the greatest known sermons is Jonathan Edwards, no relation to me, other than we're all the offspring God created us. You know, we're from his creation. But, you know, talks about in this sermon, it talks about humanity or mankind being in the hands, you know, of an angry God. And how God's just angry. And uh, it's not that God doesn't have emotion and different things like that. But God wasn't angry and so he sent his son. God loved so he sent his son. Man was goofed up so, and they had no way out themselves by doing good work. So he had to send Jesus. So we see God is positive when we read the word. But it doesn't always filter into us. I know you're excited about that. 
But Jesus lived a positive life. Paul, one of the main apostles who was used to write two-thirds of the New Testament, their lives were driven by positive. It may sound weird, even though uh, he was beaten, whipped, and got into all kinds of trouble, he said, I'll spend and be spent to help people, to do good, to follow God. And he lived positive, not negative. It, I'm going to quote two scriptures loosely, but Jesus said, I have great desire to eat the feast in Jerusalem, and then this great desire drove him to get to this location. Paul said something similar in Acts 20. He said he had this desire, this passion to go eat the Passover, uh, which was the same type of feast in Jerusalem too. And, and they did everything possible to get to that location. And really what got them to that location was a positive desire. Positive desire in God's things are huge. I would say this. Every believer has them. They have a desire to read the Bible. They have a desire to reach the lost. They have a desire to love one another and forgive and do all these things because it's how they were created. But isn't there sometimes, you know, because the Bible said we're actually dead to sin, that we want to live on to the will of God and that God is actually promoting that in us by His Spirit. He said he's working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. How many of you realize what I'm saying has some kind of disconnect somewhere? Because we don't always see the end result of God's design and what he wants. Are you with me? We know right now coming into the holidays that these can be some of the hardest times for people. Somebody might say, all year long is a hard time. But, but we recognize, you know, the days get shorter, it gets a little darker, you know, there's a little bit of just, it's not as bright. And so people deal with things during this time. Do you know that that ought not to be for a believer? Now, that's not chastising a believer. That's just saying there's another way. There's a better way, and it's in God's design. But to chastise somebody and say, without explaining more, uh, or saying, you know, you shouldn't, doesn't always help people. Like, there should be an explanation how I get there then, if this is the design. And so, positive thoughts and desires drive us. These things happen in our life by right environment, right words. Are you with me? And by being born again. And so God has a plan for us to live a prosperous life. That's plain. Anybody who would say God doesn't have a prosperous life for you is either dishonest or ignorant. That just kind of splits the category right there. They're either dishonest 
or they're ignorant. And we could be ignorant. We don't want to be dishonest. But God, the Bible said, Beloved, I would that you would prosper in every way, even as your soul prospers, you would live in health and prosperity. That's a Bible verse. The Bible said Jesus became poor that we might have a full, rich supply. Uh, Jesus said one time to a rich man that came to him, he said, what do I do to attain eternal life? And the problem with this man was, not that he had riches, but he was trusting in his riches. The Lord said, sell these things, give to the poor, and then come follow me, and then you'll have eternal life. Well, some people have taken that to think that God doesn't want people to prosper, and if you follow him, you need to become poor. But really, if you read the context, Jesus was just telling them, this man, you need to trust me, you're trusting in your money. So it said the man became very sorrowful. He became depressed. That was not God's plan. Because he thought, I've got to get rid of this thing. I'm trusting in this money, and I've got to go this way. I want eternal life. But he loved his money more than he loved God. And so he, he uh, turned around and walked away that day. But the story doesn't end there. What happened right then was... Jesus had other disciples. He was actually calling somebody to be a disciple, but they didn't want to do what it took. And some of the other disciples had done exactly what the Lord asked him to do. They were business owners and different things like that. And what did he say to them? He said, you just got to serve me and rough it out and, and, and be poor and get beat up all the time. And we don't got much now, but when we get to heaven, it's going to get a lot better. No, the other disciples said, hey, Lord, uh, we did that. What, what about us? Jesus said, well, there's nobody that will do that. In other words, give up for the sake of the kingdom that will receive a hundredfold now in this life with persecution. So if you hear people persecuting people for proper prosperity, they're just fulfilling scripture in a negative way. But those are real positive things that the Lord was about. Are you with me? They lived a positive life. But what about contradictions? Turn to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and we're going to talk about this. How to really, uh, Julie said it when we were singing, align ourselves. Well, not when she was singing, when she was saying something in between. Aligning ourselves with who we really are and God's way. You know, we don't want to get unaligned. Because, you know, a car that's out of alignment will constantly pull one way. And without a lot of pressure, it will go, want to go a different way. So we want to align ourselves and really align ourselves with who we are in Christ. When, when I first got saved, I thought I had gotten a ticket to heaven and I wasn't going to go to hell anymore. I did recognize when I gave my life to the Lord, man, I, I don't, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I, I don't do drugs anymore. I, I'm a, a, a nicer person. 
didn't say I became perfect, but there was a massive change in me. And I thought it was just kind of like this stuff came to my credit. I didn't, you know, and as I learned, I realized this, this change happened in me and I was being driven from within and God had given me a new nature and had caused a bunch of things to come to my inheritance. And the same thing happens in every believer. Are you with me? So 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and we'll begin to look here about how we stay positive, or you could say it like this, get back to an effective life in God. Remember this, in God, he doesn't want you to be gloomy. That's huge. He doesn't want us to live gloomy. If he said, I want my will to be done on the earth like it's in heaven, Tuesday is not a gloomy day in heaven. Gloomy Mondays don't happen in heaven. Then why do they happen here? If it's not God's will and you've been created to succeed in Him and to live in victory and get answers to prayer and live an overcoming life, where is the disconnect? How do I get there? How many people when they first started out with the Lord were like, woohoo, and something happened along the way and they fizzled? What, what happened? And, and they, they know it's right to serve God, so they push on but there's more than that. You know, it's like, I don't want to live wrong because it's outside God's will and I'm going to be before Him and live with Him forever, so I'm going to fight to move on this way. There's a better way. Now, we're going to face things, but we face them as a conqueror, and it's not like we face it as a conqueror and live overcome. Thank you. Ready? 2 Corinthians 11.3, a real incredible vo uh, voice really to us about life. Verse 3 said, But I fear lest somehow the serpent, as the serpent, deceived Eve. How many of you realize not every negative thing that comes against you is just life? Some things are. But some things are more than that. Some things are more than that. Some negative thoughts are, are introduced. And they're introduced sometimes randomly. Sometimes by environment and different things like that. But notice, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted, might be, or may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Notice what he feared. A, a, a corrupt thought process. 
And he said, I'm going to read it from the New International Version. It says, but I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. One translation says subtlety. Things that are subtle are just not out there. They just kind of slid in there. But he said through the serpent's cunning your minds may somehow be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion you have in Christ. So you can see that this corruption that happens is to move devotion away from the Lord. From a real strong commitment of doing God's plan, walking in His best. And he said, I fear lest this would happen. Well, I don't know, how can I know the details of what he was explaining here? Because he's saying this is not good and this could happen to people. Well, where in the world then could we find how that the serpent would do this to somebody? And how could we overcome it? Are you with me? He said he didn't want this for him, but he said, you know, that, that, that it will affect your mind. How many of you know what affects your mind? Words do. Images do. They can purify. They can do different things. And so he said some thoughts that would come against us would try to move our minds. To look at things from a different light. Not from a God standpoint. Think about it. Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, just to push down. So if these thoughts are not lifting up and prosperous things and good things, I need to evaluate what is coming into my mind. Now turn with me to Matthew. We're going to look at, real quick here before we go, how to overcome or to be positive or to live out this proper design. And, you know, positive thinking is huge, but, and negative thinking is bad, but how do we do that? How, how do we do this? Matthew 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 3. Now, Eve was deceived by the enemy. If we read the story, what happened to her? Reasoning started working in her mind by these thoughts that were introduced and started painting a picture to move her to act on a wrong desire. Remember, Paul and Jesus, they were moved by positive desire. Eve was moved by negative. How did that happen? Certain thoughts that were bombarding her. She started entertaining these things. And as she entertained them, I guarantee you before she acted, there was something wrong internally in her happening. There's no way that anybody can start thinking on negative stuff that it doesn't start affecting them internally. Are you with me?
Those are the beginning steps, but what do we do? Matthew 4, this is so awesome because it gives us details on how the enemy works and what we must do to win. If you read the story of David, you'll see this is exactly how he went one over Goliath when the others failed. Matthew 4, verse 3. When the tempter, now when the tempter, or we would say Satan, the devil, came to him. Notice he didn't even go to the devil. The devil just came to him. He said... If you are the Son of God, questioning His identity, command these stones to become bread. Create a miracle too while you're at it. But He answered and said, It is written. What is going on here? Thoughts are coming to Him. The Bible said He was tempted and pressured like we are. Well, I've never been taken up on a building or, you know, and the devil said, look at this. But the way I've been tempted, and it's the way Jesus ultimately was, different thoughts came to his mind this day. What you couldn't see, what we might not have seen if we were standing there, was the devil. We might not have even seen the thought. But haven't we observed in somebody, uh, you know, we say something to them and all of a sudden their countenance changes because something happened internally in them? And we realize something happened. I remember one day uh, a certain thought had come to me and I had literally walked out and I was like, you get out of here. Pastor Linda had been with me. She walked out to her car, I walked out to my car and drove over and she said, what happened or whatever? She could see it. And she's like, you this? And I said, oh yeah. Well, what did I do? I did what had to be done, the same thing that happened here. Things like that come not from God. And one place in the Bible, the psalmist said, soul or mind, emotions, why are you pressed down and cast down? And what he did was not say, well, I'll think a positive thought. How did the negative got, get thought get introduced or the negative emotion? Or the doubt thought? Through subtlety. Things that don't even look like they're from the enemy, a thought comes and says, well, you don't have faith. Or, this will never change. Or, God's not for you. And the list can go on and on. You'll always be alone. And here's the thing, you could be in a crowd of people, and people all around, friends, and those thoughts do come to people. I've met people who have lived and been the life of the party who have personally told me, I'm lonely. And you would think by looking at them, how could you be lonely? But you know, you can be alone and not lonely, and you can be in a crowd and feel alone. 
then it has to be beyond circumstances that these things are happening. They have to be unseen. And he said that their minds become corrupted. Emotions revolve through the mind and other parts of the soul. But here Jesus is and, and the enemy saying stuff to him and Jesus responds to the enemy. And he uh, speaks not the problem, but he speaks the answer because the problem or the the twisting is trying to put a new desire, a new way in him where he would identify as something that is not so. And it happened again. You know, I think sometimes some of these things do need to be said because we'll face tests in our lives, but sometimes have you ever faced a temptation and it looked exactly, if you've been serving God a little while, it looked exactly like another one. And you thought, well, this will be a cinch. I've dealt with this before. Uh, you get out of here a day later, two days, three days, four days, five days, you're still standing your ground, and you're like, this is identical to this. What's the difference? Well, the enemy will just jump right in and go, there's something wrong with you. How do you know it's identical? If you go by appearance, it may, but maybe there's more darkness there yelling. Why didn't Jesus just one time and the enemy was gone? There was a repeat and a repeat. And how did he deal with these things? he began to speak in line with the truth. I'm more than a conqueror. Hey, if gloom comes, you could say gloom is not my part in life. What, what did Jesus say? He made a statement later on here, a couple chapters turn there, about overcoming and getting free from worry. How many know if you live in worry, you're going to be depressed? The Bible said fear and anxiety or worry that gets into the heart of a person will create depression. That means you get pushed down. You're actually not functioning like you really are. That would mean that you were created to be up and not down. Created to be a conqueror, one who serves with devotion and authority and, and victory. But if worry or different things come in, it literally to depress means to be depressed means to push down. And so we're not living above only like the Bible said, but you were created above. How do I deal with this? Matthew 6. Jesus was dealing with people about God's plan here and how he wanted to meet every need over and above in all their life and how the rest of the world pursues these things. But he said, if you pursue God, he said, don't get into worry. God will take care of you. God will do this and on and on. But then he made this huge statement. He said, if you begin to agree with the negative thoughts. Now hear me out completely. 
because I'm quoting, going to read the verse here in a second. If you agree with the thought and then begin to acknowledge it and take it, like, God, I've been under this for a long time. Is it ever going to change? You might be repeating something that's trying to bind you. God, will it ever end? Do these fans sound super loud right now up here? Got quiet. But did Jesus say, is this ever going to end? Or did he just pull himself back and say, I serve God. Him only will you serve. That's how I do it. What if you started saying, I'm, I'm alive, full of the life of God. There's joy, there's peace, there's comfort. God supplied all my needs. He's for me. What if I started saying the right thing? But Jesus said this, if I start repeating the problem, start acknowledging it the wrong way. Now this doesn't mean ignore things. But there's a difference between acknowledging a situation and then just talking it up. And constantly talking about it. And regularly bringing it up. There's a huge difference. He said, if you do that, then you're actually taking in those seeds. You're taking in that design into your own heart. You're actually allowing it to come in and begin to shape new desires, squelch Proper design. You know, I'm Irish and I just have a problem with my temper. Now, I'm not Irish. and uh, But I, I'm just Irish and I have a problem with my temper. Where did that thought come from? And now I'm taking it. What if I started saying, I'm a new creation and the love of God is in my spirit because the Bible said that. What am I doing? I am not taking a wrong thought. I am reestablishing the truth of who you and I really are in God's sight. I'm God's kid. He created me to win. Because those other thoughts are going to say you don't win. But the Bible said we always triumph. But I have to do what Jesus did and begin to speak positive when the negative is coming. If I start acknowledging the negative, then I'm actually taking it in and accepting it. And if thoughts are created by words, words are containers. I mean, you, words can be filled with whatever you want to fill them with, but words are containers. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't take long teaching, reading the Bible, that you start realizing words are containers. Now, I can misinterpret what somebody said. Like Jesus said, where is your faith? Oh, I could misinterpret that. He was basically saying, why aren't you doing something with the faith you have? He wasn't saying you don't have it. 
But you could misinterpret that. Believers have faith. How many warnings there are about not doubting. But we should be established, I've got faith. How do I doubt? One of the things about doubt and all this is what comes out of my mouth, not what attacks my head. And there is a vast difference. How many little kids have been hurt by a word that was spoken to them, but you know how you can tell if they've been hurt? Watch what comes out of their mouth. Kids that don't get hurt, it doesn't come out of their mouth. Or it may linger there, but here's a thought. Words or thoughts that come that are unspoken die unborn. You with me? Notice this, Matthew 6.31. Jesus is talking about your needs being met, but he's also talking about being attacked with negative thoughts of worry that would go contrary to God's character toward you, God's care for you, God being for you and wanting you to win in every area. He said these thoughts will come. But he said, you've got to do it like this. You've got to be careful. And notice what he said in 631. Therefore, do not worry, saying. Thoughts of worry can come to people, but he said, do not begin to express them. Saying, what shall we eat? Well, he said, don't say what shall we eat. Why? Because what did he do when those thoughts came? What did David do when thoughts came? He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. What does that do? It begins to shape and turn your life. James, the only book in the New Testament written by a pastor to a church, talking the nitty gritty, as people would call it, said, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. You will control your life. You will become what you predominantly allow. And these are secret things. These are not what we project. These are things that we say on our own. Why God? Why God? Why God? Why do you permit this? And he's not permitting it, so to speak. We didn't know that we're permitting it by saying such things why are we saying this so that we can turn our words where do you want to be put your words there and like a ship you'll it may take a little bit especially if you've been going a certain way for a while but you'll get that ship turned Notice what he said, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things, and he said, seek God first, and these things will come into your life. You know what we need to say? God cares about me, because that's what he said. God's adding these things to my life. Because worry thoughts that come say it's not going to happen, it will never happen, maybe you failed too many times, but the Bible's clear that God cares. The King James reads this or says this of this verse. It says, take no thought by saying it. 
if I repeat the negative like this is happening, I have now taken that as my belief system. What if God said you're healed? What if God said he's for you? What if God said he's doing a work now in your life? What if you're gloomy about the work you think God is doing in your life? You may have taken a thought and may have expressed that thought and now it's pushing down your emotions. Well, what do I do? Do I wait to see a change? A ship would not wait to have the, its direction changed before it turned the rudder. It would turn the rudder first. And if the wind is pushing it, it would just keep the rudder turned. And if the winds are pushing against your life to turn you, you just got to speak more. At that time. Why? Because you're, you're just turning into that wind. Notice this. Ephesians 6. We'll, we'll, we'll close right here. We need to know who we are. We need to know we're alive. We need to know we're more than conquerors. We need to know we've been seated above all these evil things. In Christ. And His name has been given to us. And His name works on our mouth. And that He has supplied. And that He will hear and answer your prayers. All these things are repeatable. And should be repeated. But as we were saying, how do I deal with thoughts? You know, people who worry encase themselves in gloom. And they don't even realize that they do exactly what the Bible said don't do. They worry, and part of the word worry is to like mutter it. You ever snuck up on somebody and they were kind of saying something under their breath? Have you ever snuck up on yourself and you were saying something under your breath? You should look what you were saying because that's the direction you're steering yourself. Doesn't mean it could be in line with God's intent or it maybe is not. But if I say things like, well, every time I attempt to go for it with God, I just go astray. You know what's going to happen? You already told me. And it's got nothing to do with your prayers. It's got nothing to do with God not being for you. It's I turn my steering wheel and I don't understand why I keep driving up the curb. Notice I didn't say you, I said me. Or somebody else. But what can I do if I'm going to end up positive and end up living in victory? I'm going to have to talk this. I'm going to have to. Death and life, Proverbs 18.21, are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it or understand how it works will eat the fruit of it. God made us with speech. When darkness was in the world, God didn't go, great, I don't know when this is ever going to change. He said, light be. And then he said, we have the same spirit of faith. We need to speak what we truly believe and know from the word. You ready to close up here? Ephesians, the sixth chapter. 
the 16th verse, we should be thinking, I'm more than a conqueror. When do you do that? When you're experiencing it? No. Say it all the time. At first, it may not seem by experience you're more than a conqueror. But it may just be that we've heard so much that we're not a conqueror that becoming a new creation and God making us a conqueror, we might think, not me. And so now what I'm doing is I am beginning to do things like Jesus did against those thoughts. Or as we're going to look here, we're going to quench thoughts that burn in our thinking. That have been etched into us. He said here in Ephesians 6, 16, he said above all this, and he's talking about dealing with the enemies of life. And he's trying to tell us here that you can win over every enemy. You know, it'd be good when those negative thoughts come to start the extinguishing process like this. I always win against you. Because you know what they say when they first show up? You can't beat me. Nobody's ever had a thought like that. Your prayers don't work is a prayer, is a thought. You can't beat me. The name of Jesus doesn't work on your lips. God said it did. That's a you can't win against me thought. So where do I start? I'm going to win. Just let you know I'm more than a conqueror. Are you going to feel like one? What's that got to do with it? Let's bow our heads and pray for this meal. I figured since it was quiet. Are you allowed to say I'm going to win before? How often, if Jesus lived a positive life and Paul lived a positive life, go read their lives. People would come and say, we need to be healed. He said, I'll come and do that. Let's go and see if God will do it. He said, no, I'll come and do it. He, Paul said, when I go there, you're, you're going to get fruit from my ministry. Well, I just don't want to be proud. Who interjected that thought? Am I self-promoting or am I saying there's power in the gospel? So I'm going to share the gospel so good things are going to happen. We're going to sing Christian songs that are in line with the word. Good stuff's going to happen. And if they got kind of wonky lyrics or maybe I didn't see some exactly perfect in the word and said something a little, eh, I still have a gift from God to sing or to preach. So God's just going to be working. He's bigger than me. But do we say that? And if I've had negative thoughts and I have not repelled them, are they still burning in my emotions? But above all, and he's talking about how to win, verse 16, above all, in other words, even if you don't do all the other things, above all, do this. Take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the Wicked one. These are negative thoughts that will come against you that have to be extinguished, put out by the positive 
faith truths. He goes on to say, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword, I'm sorry, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That word there, literally, Word of God, means the spoken, vocalized Word of God. It's interesting, not one of the pieces of armor are offensive, they're all defensive. Everything you read through, the only offensive one, weapon, is the spoken word of God. How am I going to quench fiery darts? These thoughts that come that say, you're inferior. That is so contrary to God. Like when we all get to heaven, he's not going to go, come in my inferior ones. And we're like, yeah, we know, Lord. We're so inferior. But we're glad you just let us come in the back door of heaven. You know, where the, where the servants and the employees enter. But how many people would gladly go through the back door? I mean... Wouldn't we all, if there was, you know, you can't get in the front door of heaven, go in the back? But that is not our position. But the, what makes people think I'll go through the back door instead of the front door is those fiery darts. I'm wondering if when we get to heaven, God's going to be like this, and people are going to be like, oh, great. And he's like, ah, oh, it's so good to see you. And we'll be like, oh, go ahead first. Go ahead. There's a little traffic jam here. You go on in there thinking, man, I don't want to see God. It's going to be tough. And then somebody else is like, you go first. And you're like, no, you go first. And they push you in and you're like, oh, great. He's right there. I can't turn around. And he's like, it's so good to see you. And you're like, you know, I watched enough Three Stooges episodes when they'd say, gentlemen, they'd look around to see who they were talking about. And when God addresses us, he looks at us like more than conquerors, but it's up here. What have we been talking about? Have we taken wrong thoughts by saying? How, I've heard this. I maybe have been guilty of it, but I hear people say that this often. They'll do this when they're dealing with somebody who, you know, they're trying to help them to do something and encourage them a certain way, and they'll just right out of the gate say, well, you know, I mess up too. Well, you know, I mess up too. Now, if you've ever said that, just smile like you've never, or go, hmm, that's an odd thought to say. But why am I acknowledging my failures? Wouldn't it be better if I was talking to say to a believer to say, man, God set us right. I'm not ignoring the fact that I've missed it at times. Because I'm sure somebody will out there point something out about you or me. But why do I have to acknowledge it? Maybe I'm taking thoughts that I shouldn't. <clears throat> Amen. Oh, thank you. No, we should be positive, not about other people. Now, I'm not saying be negative, but don't just go, okay, I'll be that, be that way about yourself in the light of how God looks. 